Again, I don't know about you, but it has been quite uh, challenging. What? This is what? Months? We've got to say months? A year and some? Almost two years? Of global pandemic, we've got volcanic ash, we've experienced all kinds of challenges and that has meant that there have been implications financially, relationally, health-wise. So many uh, circumstances, challenges to work through. And what we find in the book of Joshua as what is a timeless truth for us, is that's what we're going to drive to this evening is that first of all, you have there in your notes, it is a historical record. Now I just said history, and maybe some of you just went to sleep, because you did history in school, and it was not the most fascinating thing, right? Uh, how many of you love history? <laughs> okay, so we have one, two, three, all of you. That's, that's the RBC, right? <laughs> right? So you guys got so excited when I said it was a historical record. You all went, woo! <laughs> this is a historical record of how, of how Israel came uh, to possess the promised land, the land under the leadership of Joshua. Now there's so much going on in this book. It's 24 chapters divided into three parts. Like I said, we are just finishing up part one. Part one has to do with the possession of the land, right? So that's that blank possession, the conquest of the land, chapters 1 through to 12. After that, we see the administration of the land, the division of the land. We see the, the possession part, and that's the part that we really enjoyed, those are the exciting stories that we did in Sunday school, and vacation, Bible school, that's uh, crossing the River Jordan, that's the Battle of Jericho, that's um, <clears throat> defeat at Ai, the victory at Ai, the deceit of the Gibeonites, right? As you read that story, you're like, what in the world? Um, right? Uh, so so that, all that is so exciting that you got five kings against Joshua and the people of Israel. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. We're just doing a big flyover this evening. And, uh, you know, maybe one day Pastor John will do it if he hasn't done it already. And I tell you guys, it's absolutely encouraging uh, to you. So we have possession, which is the conquest of the land, administration, which is the division of the land. That part is the most challenging part of the book, to be honest with you, right? It's not the most exciting part, but it's an important part, the administration of the land. Then thirdly, you will see exhortation. Exhortation occurs in chapters 22 to 24, and that is actually Joshua preaching. How many of you have said to hear Joshua preaching? Okay, so, so when Joshua says, choose you this day who you will serve, he's preaching a sermon, right? And so that's what's going on in those final uh, chapters. Now what you want to get at is how does this historical book, which you guys are so excited about, right? <laughs> how does this help us today? How does this help us today? So what we do is that we have to drive towards that timeless truth, all right? And so we cannot get there successfully until we explore the theological background of the book, all right? So what is it in antecedent revelation, in revelation that's come before, that helps us understand what Joshua contributes to our Christian walk? Uh, many people run to this book for examples of leadership, right? We get excited about Joshua and his manly leadership, right? And, uh, and that is there, 
But I will submit to you that that's not the point of the, the book, right? Um, so whatever we say about the theological message of the book of Joshua, it has to be an outgrowth of the theological background of the book. So we'll find that this book is not so much about Joshua as it is about him leading the people of Israel to conquer the land, the land of Canaan, which God promised to them. That's our first clue as to what is going on here that helps us today. This is fulfillment of specific promises that God had made way back in Genesis, right? So you're familiar with the Abrahamic covenant and how uh, God had made a promise concerning the land of Canaan. You read that in Genesis chapter 12, chapter uh, 15, chapter 17. You guys know this story. There's a central rule for Israel to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So what we see is this promise that there will be a seed that is innumerable, as, as much as the stars of heaven, right? And then you have universal blessing. How do we get from this promise to Abraham, or right, Abraham at that time, how do we get from there to universal blessing? Well, in between there is this issue of the land. God's people need a place to live. <laughs> if they're going to grow, if they're going to bless the nations, they need a place to stay. And so that's what, we're see, that's what we see going on. But God, what's interesting is that God makes this promise, right? But he does not drop the land into their lap, so to speak. That's what's really interesting. Well, if God has promised me this thing, why do I need to do anything, right? If, if he's promised it to me, then all I have to do is receive that promise and believe it, right? But that's not what we see going on in the book of Joshua. You see, repeatedly throughout the book, we're going to see that God reminds Joshua, I have given you this land. And Joshua's responsibility is to go and take it, <laughs> right? And so we see this dynamic start to take shape where God is giving them the land by their actively taking possession of it. So there's a balance here that leads us to a two-part theme. That two-part theme has to do with God's work and man's responsibility. God's work and man's responsibility. So that's what I'm trying to catch up with your thing, but my, my phone not unlocking well. Okay. All right, so, so God will fulfill his promises to his people, but they must fulfill their own responsibilities. So we're trying to locate this in the Christian life. Where does the book of Joshua help us most in our Christian lives? All right, so let's do this. We know three distinct phases. We know salvation, right? Your Christian life begins with salvation or your conversion. Does the book of Joshua speak to our conversion experience? Uh, did you have to um, uh, fight for your salvation? <laughs> huh? Did you have to work for it? Or was your salvation not a gift <laughs> that you received? And so we see that there, 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 there's then a disconnect then. It cannot be something that is helpful for our conversion then. It does not fit with all the exertion that is going on within the book of Joshua. There's so much warfare that doesn't work. 
Okay, so, so if it's not conversion, what about glorification? Is it about uh, the end where we are finally transformed? Um, it, is it possible to view Canaan uh, as a picture or as a type of, of heaven, right? Uh, so, so we read in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 9, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Right? Uh, so then remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God who... Uh, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That's Hebrews 4. But Joshua, the book of Joshua is not about God's people enjoying rest. Where is the rest in the book of Joshua? Every, every chapter is another fight, right? It's like, ah, so, so it, cannot, it cannot be that then. So it's not conversion. It's not glorification. What's left? Your sanctification. Right? And this is where we find the best fit. The best fit then, where we apply the book of Joshua to our lives, is sanctification. No, we've got to be careful here because what the danger is, is to moralize. Right? The danger here is, is to insert ourselves into the story and all of a sudden we become Joshua. <laughs> right? And we're going to learn that um, Joshua is not the point of the book of Joshua, which is so ironic, right? Uh, so this is not to say that the specific enemies and battles are types of specific sins in the Christian life, right? This is what we do when we let our imagination run wild, right? And we start to apply things out of context, okay? So what happens? Somebody may say that Joshua locks up the five kings in a cave. You remember that story? Uh, and then these, so these, therefore, these five kings represent five sins, <laughs> or five senses <laughs> that you have to lock up. No, that's that's. There's no defensible um, biblical structure for arriving there. All right, you can't get there biblically or theologically. All right, that's just our imagination out of control. The Canaanites do not represent the world of flesh and devil. All right. And on and on and on and on, right? So that's not what we're saying. What we are saying is that there's a principle here that is true of sanctification. And in fact, the New Testament does allow for references to our sanctification. And it speaks to it in terms of warfare, right? So you talk Ephesians 6, right? Put on the whole arm of God. It's a battle. It's a fight to live the Christian life. There are things that you're going to have to do. You're going to exert effort. Uh, interesting that you read Philippians this evening. We are preaching through Philippians in our morning service. <laughs> so there you go. All right, last time I was here, I preached on Philippians. They said, no, I can't do that again. And we read it anyway. So there you go. All right. Uh, but, but what I want to draw to your attention is Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Right? Um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, was the apostle say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling not work for your salvation work it out it's a calculation it's a proof right all right so you know you do your you do your mathematics right you do your two plus two equals four and you guys do fancy algebra and uh, what's the um reduction to canonical or echelon form you know that no you know okay all right good or you hard pass on that right and then and then you do qed when you finish, at the bottom, QED, that's what I'm talking about. Prove it. If you say that you have life, new life, go ahead and prove it by the way that you live. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
um, reverence for God, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of or for his good pleasure. You see that dynamic there? It tells you, you go ahead and work and prove that you are authentic, and then it tells you that God works in you, right? So you see that there is God's work and man's responsibility. And that's our two-part theme. I know you're going on my phone tonight, you don't upgrade. Can't let the iPhone users know that. Know that. Anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? So, yes, yeah, so we have divine working. Point number four there in your hand, though, right? So you got God's work, man's responsibility. Point number four, divine working. God gives his people victory over their enemies. It is all through the books. Fascinating experiences, fascinating stories. But you know what we find? All Joshua is doing is obeying what God tells him to do. Right? Um, there's a song that I guess you may know, right? And it goes, Joshua, take the battle of Jericho. Right? Um, so in other words, he's trying to tell you that Joshua fought that battle, Joshua won that battle, but did Joshua really fight the battle of Jericho? Uh, tell me last time somebody won a battle by blowing and keeping noise or shouting, right? God is the person who won that battle. <laughs> right? Joshua just did what God told him uh, to do. So God is a person who is supplying victory all through the entire book, right? When Joshua, when Israel was defeated at Ai, remember that? And Joshua, Joshua didn't know what was going on. So Joshua, they're praying and they sat down for ashes and God says, get up. You have no idea what's going on. You're the leader, but you don't know what happened. Somebody got, has taken up their first thing, right? That's Aiken, right? So God is the person directing. In fact, um, recently we discovered that you know, um, God is God is fighting for Israel, and the way the text puts it is um, that God Himself threw down stones from heaven. Right? It's obviously describing describing hail, but the description is that God is the person who has these armies on the run. He's the person who is supplying the victory, and that's encouraging for us. That all we need to do is take God at His word and obey Him in difficult times and difficult circumstances as we live from our conversion to our glorification experience life in between gets messy life in between gets frustrating life in between you will encounter challenges but God fights for his people and you are designed God wants these these, these challenges that you go through to develop you to grow you I mean folks you, you, you know the experiences we're going through intense suffering right now. I mean, it is depression, it is anxiety, it is worry, it is fear, it is actual health issues, it is loss of loved ones and not being able to attend a funeral. What is that? That's what we're going through now. We are encountering challenges on every single side. Yet, God fights for his people and gives them victory. He will pull off miracles if he has to. Right? He can part he parted the Red Sea, he parted the River Jordan for his people as well. God again can deliver his people from all their fears. So what does God do? God gives his people victory. And then in chapters 13 to 21 in your notes, God brings his people into the experience of his Will God brings his people into the experience of his will and uh, talking about the temple and so on in those chapters. It's a wonderful read and, and you get to see that God doesn't just want to give you victory. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. 
Guys, very often when we encounter challenges in our lives, people talk about these storms of life. Very often, and it, look, who is going to blame anybody? If, if, if you're sick, don't you want to get well? If you're, if, you're, if you're down and out financially, don't you want to get a job, employment, get funds coming in? These are the things that we want, right? If you're realistic, if we're honest with ourselves, you think we want out. But folks, what we got to be careful of is that we don't just desire deliverance and not a deliverer, right? I just want God to get me out of this circumstance. I just want to get out of here, but I don't actually want God. God wants us to want Him. <laughs> Regardless of what is going on in our lives. Our brother was praying earlier and he mentioned something that stayed with me. He says, um, you know, it's just, if there's it's anything in our lives that uh, we cannot be happy without, wow, right? Right, then we know that that thing is an idol, right? Very often, God brings these storms in our lives to expose idols. Things that, boy, if he didn't blow them down, they would stay up. Because we ain't tearing them down. And sometimes God has to blow down those things. I want you to experience God more as you go through these different challenges, this warfare of the Christian life. So what, if that's what God does, what's our responsibility? Well, 5A, God gives victory through intense human effort. Listen, I am so glad that God fights for us. You know that these Israelites, they are not military people. So, so, so there's a great risk involved in asking these people to go conquer the land, to go fight, you know. You know, the, uh, uh, again, I think the psalmist remarks, you know, you, 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 teach, you, you teach my hands to fight. <laughs> you know, these guys don't know anything about fighting. They don't know about warfare. In fact, um, some people say, I don't know that this is really the case. I think there's a much stronger argument, right? But... When, when um, they encountered um, the armies that had chariots and horses, people, and, and they hamstrung them, right? Pretty graphic. Um, but people say that they, they got rid of the horses and the chariots because they didn't know how to use it. This was modern technology for them. People, people say that. People say that. No, I think God says you get rid of them so that you understand that you can have victory without that technology. That's what I think is a greater point, right? Sometimes we become so reliant on technology in order to do God's work. God says, hey, you know what? I can turn off the Wi-Fi today. <laughs> I, can shut down, I can shut down light and power. And watch us. Watch, watch us. <laughs> watch us see that the gospel will still go forward. God does not need those things. You understand what I'm saying? And so what is our responsibility to, to go forward in faith? And so many times, Joshua encounters a challenge, right? And you know what? God reminds him of this same passage that we read here earlier. That, you know, this book of the Lord shall not depart with multiple humanity day and night. And therefore you have success. God reminds him of that later on in Joshua. And so we all need encouragement from God, don't we not? Especially in difficult times. But you know what also happens when you are encouraged by God? Then you can encourage other people. Guys, you know, when you know that you've been through something, now you can go and help somebody with that same word, those same verses, that same psalm, that same passage, that same, that, that same verse that you highlighted in your Bible app, that helps somebody else. And so you can be an encouragement to other people. So the Israelites have to go through and they have to completely eradicate the things that, remember, this is just big picture, just flying over. The Israelites have to go and completely eradicate everything that God says to get rid of, right? The phrase is, 
um, the things devoted to destruction. They have to completely wipe it out. In our Christian lives, we are sometimes like Achan, right? We want to hide up some things and eh, we don't have to get rid of this, right? As opposed to one of those Israelites like, say, you know what? We could use these chariots and horses, you know, we could win a fight with these. Let's keep some of them. But God says, get rid of it completely and totally. Do we have that, 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 that commitment still of, of, of radical self-denial, right? This is, this is Luke chapter 9. If anybody will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's every single day, guys. We've got to deny ourselves, right? And so there are things out there that are going to be appealing to us in our walk, in our sanctification, but we have to obey the Lord. Even when it is extremely difficult. Don't have time to deal with this for sure, but we know that the, the Israelites were called to exterminate an entire people group. All the Canaanites. Right? This is something that is difficult. Why would God bring such unique divine judgment on an entire people group? <clears throat> well, first of all, God gave them plenty of time to repent. The Bible says that that cup was full. God waited. And remember, these persons were absolutely rebellious against God. The most heinous of sins, if you want to characterize, that's what, that's what was normal for them. And God waited, and God was patient, and that cup of his wrath was filling up until he poured it out now during the conquest. And so they had time to repent. God is merciful even as he administers judgment because we know about Rahab. <laughs> we know about the Gibeonite scheming, and they get included. So God is still even merciful while he judges but God is holy and he must just judge sin let's remind ourselves that sin is nothing to be trifled with let's remind ourselves that we must have a zero tolerance for sin in our own lives that's our responsibility to cleanse our hands purify our hearts so God gives victory through intense human effort I love the strategies that we read about I love the battle of AI um, you, you know, you read that, that could be any movie today, you know, uh, right? You, you, distraction, ambush, all kind of thing, okay? So a lot of excitement there, and God gives victory to his people through human effort. But he also gives victory through specific human roles. And we talked about the role of leadership. Joshua is the new leader who has taken over from Moses. And immediately, he, 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 he just continues, and the scripture keeps on saying, you know, Joshua did all that God commanded him to do just as Moses did all that God commanded him to do. And that's how, I don't know about you, that's how I want to live my life. When, when God gives me an instruction from his word, I read this, I want to change it right away. I don't want to dilly-dally with it. I want to follow God all the way. And so Joshua receives a charge from God to lead God's people. It's not about Joshua as a macho man. It's not about Joshua as a man with tremendous willpower. It's about a man who has a relationship with God. A guy who trusts the Lord. That's all. That's all. You want, you want victory in your Christian life? Be obedient. That's it. You want victory? Be obedient. So, people say that everything rises and, fall, and falls on leadership. That's, I don't know how many of you know John Maxwell. Um, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now we think about that. What is a really that's a sobering thought, yeah. right? Um, I've been I've been doing some reading myself on leadership in my in my role now, and uh, one concept that is really it burns at my heart is um, extreme ownership, right? And that is that you know ultimately the leader is responsible. 
right? Right? If you have the wrong person doing this thing and it's a disaster, you're the first person that put them there. So you're responsible. It's like, ah, right? So, so, so we need, we, we as leaders, if we desire this, we need wisdom from God, right? It's in order to lead. We need that confidence. We need that humility. We need that focus not to be distracted. So Joshua is an undistracted man and he follows the Lord. But not only does, if he were to counter John Maxwell a little bit, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on followership as well. <laughs> because we will see that God also involves the role of the community. All Israel, all of these people, the, the text says 41 times in the book of Joshua. Understand that this is a group effort. This is not a one-man show. It's not about Joshua. It's about all of us. And if we're going to do mission in 2021, it'll take all of us, every person involved, not people watching from the sidelines. And so it takes the entire community in order for victory to be achieved. And then lastly, we see that there's the role of the individual person. There is individual responsibility. So Rahab's faith shines through in chapter 2. Achan's failure, though, in chapter 7, this is a negative example of how your choices affect other people, right? And so we see that if we as individuals do not hate sin and disregard sin in our lives, it can have an impact on the entire community and on the outcome of leadership. And then we see in chapter 14, Caleb's courage. Oh, one individual can make a whole lot of positive difference. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that's somebody came here this evening needed to be encouraged by you. I tell our church this all the time. You come to church in order to be a, you worship the Lord, right? You have a responsibility to love God. And then you have a responsibility to do what? Love people. Love those in the community of faith. And so we see it by way of conclusion then that the book of Joshua encourages us to take what belongs to us. In our Christian lives, we are called to be holy as God is holy. There's a comparison between Joshua chapter 23 and Romans chapter 6. You have already died to sin, right? Reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to Christ, walk in newness of life, that's Romans chapter 6. So we must choose to resist sin. Our holiness already belongs to us, but yet we still have to be holy. You understand that dynamic? There's a, there's a responsibility that God has taken on. He has, he has done the work. Right? So there's that positional holiness. You are saved. You are converted. That's one time for all time. And then there is a practical holiness. Living out that holiness in life on social media. When we watching TV, when we going outside to the supermarket, bank, gym, whatever the case may be. Workplace. There's a practical holiness. You are positionally holy. Now be practically holy. Take what God has given. In some ways, I'll quote this to close, the book of Joshua parallels the position of Acts in the New Testament, which portrays the early church at a high point of spiritual life and vitality. But just as Acts contains examples of sin and disobedience, who's that? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, and others. So in Joshua, there was the disastrous incident of Achan taken from the devoted thing, Joshua chapter 7. 
as well as hints that Israel will fall short of completing the conquest as Yahweh had commanded. So Israel is not only at a high point, but it is also at a crossroads in the book of Joshua. The challenge is clear. Both Joshua and Moses before him urged the people to remain, is it now, faithful to the covenant. And the unanswered question is how would Israel respond to that appeal? First, I want to say to you this evening that there is God's work and there is your responsibility. And that you are called to be faithful to what God has called you to do.